I'm the one that's not special enough for the countdown. I have never seen the countdown the whole time I've used this program up until now. Today was the first day that I've seen the countdown, and it's only when I tried to, like, call you through Soundtrap instead of just do it this way. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just hope that we don't have to remote record that often, because this is a pain in my fucking asshole, especially when I'm sick with COVID and I just want to go lay down and watch Are You Afraid of the Dark and cuddle my son. I love Are You Afraid of the Dark. Dom has been asking me to watch it and literally as soon as I told him yes, that's when you were like, I'm setting up to record. So he has just been patiently waiting for us to be done with this so we could watch Are You Afraid of the Dark. He felt so bad for barging in earlier. He's like, did I mess it up? I was like, no, dude, it got messed up anyway. Like, it's not, it doesn't matter. It was one of many things that messed it up. It's not just your fault. Your, your son is a literal angel. Like, even when I took the kids to the pumpkin patch, they were amazing. They've been getting along so well lately. I don't know what it is. Maybe they grew out of their, like, terrible twos through sixes. And now that they're, like, seven, they're like, I'm older, I'm more mature now. Now I know how to, like, be friends with everybody. I don't because, like, even there was, like, a moment where Rozzy was like, I'm having a bad day. I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, all right. And Dom was like, okay. And we gave her a little bit of space, and then she snapped out of it. But I was like, you communicated with me. I gave you your space. We all good now. Right. I'm so proud of Roz for communicating. Go, Rozzy. <sighs> Yeah, but no, they, they were great at the pumpkin patch. We had a really good time. That's awesome. I can't wait to carve that pumpkin whenever I'm feeling good enough to do anything but sleep and like feel bad for myself. Your pumpkin is the pumpkin Dominic picked out. Dominic's pumpkin is the pumpkin that Rosie picked out for you, but then Dominic decided to keep. Okay. Yeah. Weird flex, but all right. There you go. I'll accept that. Yeah. We good? We ready? We rolling? We rolling. Okay. Fucking finally we rolling. It took us an hour to get here, but we're here. We had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get this podcast recorded today. Barefoot. In the snow, barefoot. And there's also, like, little shitty pebbles all over the ground. Yes. (laughs) Just little (laughs) shitty pebbles. Shitty pebbles, right. Just little, yes. Because stepping on, like, big rocks with bare feet doesn't hurt as bad, but the tiny little shitty pebbles are the worst. It's like Lego status. The pointy ones. The little pointy ones. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The, like, bits of concrete, like, of a sidewalk that have just chipped off, so they're not supposed to be there, and they're rough and ragged. The outdoorsmen of, like, shitty little pebbles. Yes. That is what we did to get here today. Yes. (laughs) So hopefully you enjoy this. You better enjoy it. This is the best story we've done thus far, in my humble opinion. I cannot wait to hear it. I am your host this week, Michaela, And this week, I identify as a freshly carved jack-o'-lantern. Hello, I am Salem. This week, I identify as a brain-shaped jello mold. That's like wiggling on a plate. It's pretty fitting considering how like 
not a person, I feel. Yes. Good evening, good morning, and good in between to all you little parasites out there. Today we have a rather odd tale for you. But before we get into that, be sure to follow and rate our podcast so more people can know about it and get their appropriate dose of creepy. Give us all the five-star reviews. That's the ghost in your wall telling you what to do, and you better appease the ghost in the wall. Five stars only. If you would like to get in contact with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram or email us at creeptology at gmail.com with any stories you would like to share with us or stories you would like to have shared on the podcast. At creeptologypodcast at gmail.com. Same for the Insta. Mm-hmm. You just said at creeptology. I said creeptology at gmail.com. It's creeptologypodcast at gmail.com. It's literally, that's something that has to be accurate, Michaela. <laughs> You didn't tell me this the four times we've done this I did it! Pick it up the first four times! We've done this four times. We've done this exact intro four times. I didn't hear it the first four times. But so you were listening. Podcast at Gmail and at Insta, it's also that. Keep going. You sure you're going to listen to me this time? I'm listening. I've been listening. I have COVID, dude. <laughs> My brain is mush. I'm just here to, like, retain as much as I possibly can. All right. I, I guess. was saving my brain for the story and not our email address. Sorry. <laughs> I guess without further ado, let's get into the story. My main source for this story comes from an article that was published on the Ripley's Believe It or Not Weird News website under an article titled, The Sideshow Corpse Hidden in a Funhouse. All of that sentence is intriguing. (laughs) And aren't you glad I used reputable sources this time? I am so proud of your reputable sources. I actually know what the fuck Ripley's is. It's not cryptids with a Z.com. <laughs> I'm getting better. Or YouTube. That was just a fun just topic. YouTube. <laughs> there were no sources. I did the best that I could, okay? I understand. I completely understand. Even the Melonheads movie is just on YouTube. It's a student film on YouTube. So YouTube is a valid source for For that that topic. topic. Exactly. (laughs) However, for this particular strange tale, to tell it, we must begin at the end. The end of this story takes place two weeks before Christmas in the year 1976. The cast and crew of a popular 70s TV series titled The Six Million Dollar Man was filming an episode on location in Queens Park in Long Beach, California. For an episode for the fourth season, the crew was filming at a popular funhouse attraction. In between the scenes, the art director attempted to stage an emaciating-looking dummy spray-painted with glow-in-the-dark orange paint and adorned with a hangman's noose. For four years, (laughs) the antique had been hanging from its noose, hanging in a back corner. The rush of rickety passenger cars sent it swinging, 
And as it moved, there was a dry snap. The dummy's noose had snapped and upon impact, the arm broke off. The crew originally thought that the dummy's arm must have been wax given how easily it broke off the body. However, upon closer examination, they realized that the dummy was not a dummy at all. It was, in fact, the body of a human. That's fucking morbid. Jesus. (laughs) From where the arm broke off stuck out a very clearly human arm bone. They then realized that the leathery material that covered what they thought was a dummy was actually petrified skin. Petrified? How long was this fucking body hanging there? Was it just like the four year? How? Because it takes more than four years for shit to petrify, obviously. So how long was this poor guy just hanging around? Oh, we'll get into it. This guy's been... Hanging around in lots of places. What a swinging guy. (laughs) Precisely. In shock, the crew called the police and firefighters, who in turn called the paramedics and reported a severe case of dehydration. When the paramedics arrived, they burst into hysterical laughter at this severe case of dehydration And pointed out that this was actually a bad case of mummification and that this man had been dead for at least half a century. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's real dehydrated. He needs some fucking water. (laughs) Maybe that will make his arm fucking stick back on. Jesus. 50 years. (laughs) He was literally disintegrating. Just The fact that the film crew called in a severe case of dehydration. They're like, hey, we have like a, we have a severely dehydrated guy. And they show up and here's a corpse on a noose with its arm broken off. But then again, this is the 70s and people were on a lot of drugs then. That sounds like a ton of people just in the mindset of like, I really don't want to deal with this. So yeah, we got like a dehydrated guy. You just got to come down and look at it. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. But the story gets more interesting than that. The petrified body was then taken to a Los Angeles County coroner's office where it was determined that the cause of death was from a turn of the century bullet that was lodged in its chest. That's kind of dope. At one point, an able-bodied man, the person had withered away to nearly a skeleton, shriveled down to a height of five foot three and a meager 50 pounds. I don't like you saying a mere five foot three because you know I'm shorter than that. (laughs) So is my mom. You know I'm shorter than that. That's fine. (laughs) A lot of people I love is shorter than that. I am five foot two. So I don't appreciate the uh, attitude towards that five foot three, 50 pound gentleman. Says you're five foot two, 110 pound best friend. Love you. Love you. 
The body had also sustained significant wear and tear, including wind damage, resulting in the loss of several toes, fingers, most of both the ears, though it had maintained a couple wisps of hair. I... Okay, it's awful. It's absolutely awful, right? But I just love the idea of this guy blowing in the breeze like a human windsock and losing his toes and fingers along the way. Oh, how many toes does the body have? Only eight? Guess the wind's blowing at 60 miles an hour today. It's like that's how they measure the wind, by how many ligaments and fucking phalanges this guy has left. You will see how insanely accurate that is when I tell you exactly how he got this badly wind damage later on. Oh no. <laughs> Earlier mentioned, I stated that he was held up by a noose in the funhouse. Well, because he was literally falling apart, they had drilled a hole through his neck to sort of like fit the noose through. From this hole, there was a yellow goo that was seeping out of it. Ugh. And yet they still didn't realize that this was a corpse. Like I said, lots of drugs and lots of people that just say, not my problem. I mean, he was spray painted with like neon orange spray paint. So maybe they just thought it was part of the, the shindig. I don't know. I don't believe that everybody could be that ignorant to the fact that that was an actual human corpse and not a mannequin. I think quite a few people knew and just were just like, yeah, didn't want to deal with it. They're like, ah. I, leading up until this incident, for the most part, this corpse was just sort of hanging out in a back corner of this fun house for the four years it was there. No pun intended. It was pretty much unnoticed in a dark corner until the film crew decided to move it for aesthetic purposes. That I can understand, but this is has been a, a corpse for 50 years. Longer than that, but yes. Yeah, I just continue. I initially, the coroner's only set of clues to figuring out who this man was were recovered from inside his mouth. What they found inside the body's mouth were Tickets to the Museum of Crime alongside a penny that was dated back to 1924. What the fuck? See, my like brain for once went the normal route. You're like, there was something in his mouth that they helped use to identify him. I was like, well, yeah, teeth, duh. Like dental imprints, fucking duh. It's like, no, tickets. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 my friend. Human ticket dispenser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love how you always hit these right on the head. Your instinct is on point. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing in this case. Like, why do I know all the fucked up shit that happened to this body without any prior knowledge? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But we'll get into it. That's how you know I'm doing the right thing in my life and having a true crime podcast. <laughs> exactly. With those clues, the secret behind this mummy's mysterious life, his anti-mortem career, and his post-mortem life finally began to unravel. Oh no, not unravel. First hang around, now unravel. Jesus Christ, Michaela. You know I love puns, okay? You know I love puns. 
you know, this is all just like fake anger and I need more puns. I got you. After some digging, (laughs) the coroner's office was able to determine that the body was that of a one Elmer McCurdy. That sounds like, yeah, it's a name that's supposed to go together. Like you don't have a name like Elmer without having the last name McCurdy to follow it. That's it's so bad. It's is he from Mississippi? He's probably from like Mississippi or like Arkansas. Definitely some Southern state. He's some Southern like country bumpkin dude. Then he has to be like a businessman. I think he's a businessman from like New England. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. (laughs) (laughs) The New England part might be right, but the rest of it, you're way wrong. To get into it, Elmer McCurdy was born on New Year's Day in 1880. No wonder he sucked at life so bad. He was a Capricorn. Gross. (laughs) No offense to Capricorns, but gross. (laughs) (laughs) Due to the economic downturn towards the end of the century and what was sure to have been a turbulent childhood, Elmer decided to pack up and head west. Four years... Elmer was nothing but an alcoholic drifter. Yeah, sounds like a thing an Elmer would do. It it tracks. It really does. He had several odd jobs, but lost most of them due to his poor work ethic. And of course, the alcoholism didn't help. He even served in the U.S. Army for four years before he decided to settle in the Midwest. During his time in the military, Elmer gained a rudimentary understanding of nitroglycerin. Fun! The main component of dynamite. Yeah, I was going to say this dude likes to make bombs. (laughs) And later on showed us that a little bit of knowledge can in fact be a dangerous thing. That's also... Not really, but also kind of the premise of Fight Club. (laughs) He also likes making nitroglycerin. (laughs) We don't talk about Fight Club. We don't talk about Bruno. Failing miserably at making an honest living, McCurdy decided to join a gang of bandits. And then then he proceeded to commit a string of very, very poorly planned and executed bank and railroad robberies across the Great Plains. Fun. I'm honestly not surprised one bit. I kind of figured that's how it would go in... In his favor. Poor Elmer. Elmer. With a name like Elmer, I mean. Alcoholic Elmer that can't even rob a bank. (laughs) Just wait. Literally every single one of his recorded safe-cracking endeavors ended obscenely badly. Think about... Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin type stunts. I was literally just thinking, I was like, he sounds like a three, like the Three Stooges. Mm-hmm. Just the comedy of trying to get away with all of these things, but never actually being able to do it. It's bad. It's bad. So let me get into it. Here are a couple rundowns of his legendary exploits. 
Can't wait to hear. First one. An arrest for public intoxication and possession of burglary implements, the latter of which he was able to get off by claiming the tools were needed to invent a foot-operated machine. Do we know what these burglary tools are? Because that's so vague. In my brain, I'm thinking like a pickaxe. I thought like a crowbar maybe, but I'm like, yeah. What a dumb excuse too. There's so many uses for everything and you came up with that you're inventing a foot machine? Yep. That was the first one. Second one. During a train heist, he overestimated how much nitroglycerin he should use, destroying the safe he believed to be holding $4,000. And in the end, he made off with only $450 in melted silver. Good job. Good for you, buddy. Give yourself a pat on the back. In another escapade, he was unable to ignite the fuse to open a bank's vault and scrambled to collect $150 in coins before the police got there. Yeah, it's literally like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. It's bad. It's really bad. And finally, after hiding in a farmer's hay shed, or, you know, like a barn, he resurfaced to commit the heist of the century. He planned to rob a train reported to be carrying $400,000. I don't know why he thought he could get away with this when he's literally got away with nothing in his life ever. Well, I mean, he might have done okay, maybe, but he robbed the wrong train. He made off with a total of $46, two jugs of whiskey, and a handful of personal items he stole on the way. Fuck yeah, sounds like dinner to me. As it would seem, McCurdy's newfound frontier identity wasn't really working out for him. While hiding out after the last railway goof-up, a $2,000 bounty had been put on his head. To make matters worse, his ability as a gunman was comparable to his prowess as a thief. On October 7th, 1911, he was abandoned by his gang and with the stolen whiskey in hand, McCurdy was tracked to a barn by three sheriffs and a pack of bloodhounds. He opened fire and after an hour long gunfight, McCurdy was found dead in the dirt. It's the end that he deserved. Oh, but it is not the end, my friend. No, no, no. So we all know at this point that this guy just completely sucked at life. He couldn't hold a job and was a downright terrible bandit. So how exactly was it that this guy ended up embalmed and preserved for so long that his corpse ended up in a fun house in the 70s? The answer to that is really quite simple if you think back to the strange Old West times and the weird things that went on. Remember the shoes? I was gonna say, it's really not that weird if you think, oh, 
It's the 1800s. All the weird cracked shit happens in the 1800s. I mean, technically by this point, it was the early 1900s, but this was still the Old West and weird stuff was still happening. So shoes, remember the shoes, okay? We still need to go see those shoes. We still do need to go see those shoes. Back in these times, mortuaries had a habit of putting bodies that were not claimed on display in their funeral homes. The morticians would embalm the corpse until someone came came to claim it. However, if nobody decided to claim the body, the morticians would simply put the body out on display to advertise for their talents in preserving the dead. Not a terrible idea. It's really not. It's really not. No, from like a science perspective at preserving the beauty of life and shit, like, no, I don't think that's that strange. You know, you, you want to get some use out of it. When nobody came to claim McCurdy's body in Oklahoma, the funeral director, Joseph L. Johnson, was exceptionally determined to be compensated for his work. Mr. Johnson had used an intense arsenic-laced ultra-preservative to keep Elmer's body in an eerie lifelike condition after fuck yeah my favorite condition (laughs) the best condition after going to the lengths to preserve and embalm mccurdy's body johnson was left with what to do with his body when it became very apparent that nobody was going to claim him as was normal in those days johnson thought that elmer would make a fine decoration in his funeral parlor and so He dressed him up in an Old West outfit with a gun by his side, complete with a sign that said, The Bandit That Wouldn't Give Up. Gotta love that taxidermy people to decorate your house with. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In order to get the money back that Johnson had invested in embalming Elmer's body, Johnson charged visitors five cents to see the corpse up close. Not only that, but the onlookers had to place their fare into McCurdy's mouth. That explains the pennies. Uh Uh-huh, and the tickets. Kind of gross, though, if you think about it. It's like some weird coin-operated machine. I was literally just about to say, like, human coin purse. (laughs) Yeah! How does he expect to get the money back? I guess he could just reopen the body. It's a corpse. (laughs) I mean, he did embalm it, so I'm sure to open it up and get all the guts out and stuff, you could probably reopen it. I don't really know. Yeah, because they... I don't... Yeah. I love that he got turned into a wallet, though. (laughs) (laughs) Only the finest of leather. The one that's still human-shaped. I feel like it would be better to make shoes, though, personally. The medical bag is my my go-to. Exactly. Give myself a nice backpack. Backpack. (laughs) It was also reported that throughout Elmer's stay in the Johnson funeral home, Mr. Johnson's children would often take the body around as an oversized doll slash plaything. They would even put roller skates on the corpse and wheel him around. That's hilarious, but absolutely taking it too far. I Okay, if you want to have the corpse displayed in your funeral parlor, that's fine. It's a funeral parlor, but it is not a plaything for your children. Like, get better toys. I understand it's the early 1900s. Come on, man, do better. I think they had roller skates. It's like... <laughs> right? You'd rather put it on a corpse? It's just, it's just some... Weekend at Bernie's shit right there. Like, that's all I'm seeing. Literally. 
Really? During the stay at the funeral home, word traveled around that Elmer was quite the attraction. Johnson was making hand over fist money from people who wanted to see this so-called bandit. He would have crowds of people lined up just to take a peek and to satisfy their morbid curiosity. Soon, carnival promoters from all over the country were showing up to Johnson's door eager to purchase this famous corpse. But as far as Johnson was concerned, his precious human taxidermy was not for sale. He'd grown attached. He had grown very attached, and apparently so did the kids. People, let me tell you about my best friend. (laughs) Not deterred by this little roadblock, a couple of carnival folk came up with a brilliant plan to snatch Elmer's body. Charles and James Patterson went to the Johnson funeral home and insisted that they were in fact Elmer's brothers and that they were going to take him back to their homeland for a proper burial. Reluctantly, Mr. Johnson let the men leave with the body. Now, of course, that was the farthest from the truth of what these men planned to do with the body. Instead, they took him on as an addition to their traveling sideshow and showed him off for nearly six decades. That's fucking nuts. Would you go see the sideshow body? Oh, totally. Yeah, I'd go see the sideshow body. I was going to say, you know you would. Don't say you wouldn't. No, I absolutely would. You totally would. I can't even lie to myself and say that I wouldn't. You would go with me. Yeah, I'd send you the link and be like, yo, look, let's go. Yeah, we would go together. The mass appeal of seeing Elmer's corpse up close should come as no surprise. Morbid curiosity about the effects of decomposition is naturally understandable and... Unless a given vocation for it, people did not often have the opportunity to know what a dead body looked like before the days of the internet. This coupled with the fact that even in those days, the Wild West was extremely romanticized. That just made Elmer the perfect attraction. So you know how mom has like... The what? Gladys? That's the goose, right? Her holiday goose. What if they just did the same thing to the body and just, like, dressed him up for different holidays, depending on what time of year it was? That's kind of fun. Decorative house corpse. I would not be surprised if the children did that. The fact that they put roller skates on him and just wheeled him around. Yeah, it's like a fucking Looney Tunes sketch, dude. Isn't it? Morbid curiosity added on to the fact that the Wild West was seen in a rather golden, glowy light of the time, added to the fact that nothing at this time would be better than top billing a bona fide cowboy corpse. Yes, I was gonna ask if they dressed him up like a cowboy. Because as soon as you said they got off on the fact that he was from the 1800s, it was like, you know, in the West, you knew they were going to dress this motherfucker up like a cowboy. The best part about this whole thing, though, would be the stage names that Elmer had accrued over the years. Let me hear them. All right. I am so ready for this. <laughs> All right. We, we, we got a couple good ones. The Outlaw 
who would never be captured alive. It's a little wordy. I like it, but it's a little wordy. It is. It is. Um, My personal favorite is The Embalmed Bandit. That's a good one. That's my personal favorite. That one rolls off the tongue very nicely. I like that one. It's quite nice. It's up there with like keep calm and embalm, you know? Nice. <laughs> it's catchy. It's catchy. Love it. The next one we have is the famous Oklahoma outlaw. Eh. Eh. Mm-hmm. Next we have the mystery man of many aliases. That's a fun one, but also little wordy. I like the alliteration, though. The mystery man of many aliases. It helps me like the name a little bit better, but it's still a a little bit of a mouthful. It does help. Alliteration does make everything better, though, so it helps in this case. And finally, we have the thousand-year-old man. Eh, generic. Alongside characters such as the strong man, alligator girl, and the torture king... Elmer was headlining the Great Patterson Carnival shows until eventually the shine and the newness of this attraction wore off. He eventually then became part of a traveling museum of crime back in 1922. Later, he also joined another sideshow that accompanied the 1928 Trans-American foot race. He was busy in his death. Of course, they work him to death and then afterwards. Oh, there's some good little bits in here. Over the years, McCurdy would be pawned off from gig to gig. Each time, both the body and the memory of who he was further decayed. Unfortunately, so too did the sideshow scene. Growing increasingly less lucrative as an exhibit, Elmer McCurdy then answered the inevitable call of Hollywood. Fuck, yeah, he did. (laughs) You're going to get a kick out of this. Move out of the way, mama. I'm going to be a star. (laughs) After the sideshow scene started to die down, he was acquired as promotional material for the 1933 exploitation film Narcotic. Oh my fucking God. He was displayed in the lobby of movie theaters as an attention grabber And a warning. A warning? A warning. Now mummified and beginning to shrink, his physical condition was credited as the result of being a morally bankrupt dope fiend. Amazing. My God. This is your warning corpse. (laughs) And you know what kind of dope they were talking about, right? Fucking weed. Yeah, Fucking devil's lettuce. So they put, at this point, a 20-year-old corpse in the lobby of movie theaters, mummified but still, and said, oh, if you smoke weed, this is what's going to happen to you. I just wonder if this was, like, before the movie organization had to put ratings on movies, because that'd be pretty fucked if you had to rate your movies, but then were able to display a dead ass body in the lobby of your movie theater. I'm assuming the company, to their knowledge, they might have just thought it was a dummy, like a realistic life size dummy. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't think at this point anybody knew that it was a real body. They realized it would have to have some sort of fucking smell to it. I mean, this is 20 years after he died. 
he's been embalmed for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. I feel like at some point the smell might kind of fade away. Yeah, I just feel like you would know. I also think you would know. After promoting narcotic, McCurdy was then periodically lent out, including a traveling sideshow near Mount Rushmore, where he sustained extensive wind damage, presumably from being transported on top of a truck like a Christmas tree. Like, just what the actual fuck, though? <laughs> that, yeah, human windsock, that fucking checks out. <laughs> That's how he lost all his fingers and toes. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Additionally, he was also a prop in the 1967 carnival-themed horror film, She Freak, which I have neither seen nor heard of, so that's probably how bad it is, because I've seen a lot of bad movies. I've also seen a lot of bad movies. I mean, I forced you to watch Veronica with me. Okay, Veronica wasn't that bad. Are you kidding me? It was It was bad. terrible. Do not give Glenn Danzig any credit where it's not due. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. I'll have to look up this movie and Please. see how genuinely fucking awful it is. Because you know how much I love bad movies. And he's a, he's a prop in it somewhere. The following year, he was sold in bulk to a Hollywood wax museum who then elected to not exhibit him because of his grotesque and rapidly deteriorating condition. Right! Grotesque! Rapidly deteriorating, and people are like, I know, it's just a dummy. It's not a body. It's just a mannequin, it's not a body. I don't know. It was around this time that McCurdy, having seen far better days, was forgotten to have ever been a person at all. He was simply an artifact, and within a few years, he made his way to the Queen's Park Laugh-in-the-Dark Funhouse, just waiting for a television crew to find him. After his discovery and subsequent identification, the lawbreaker was finally laid to rest in the spring of 1977. Keep in mind, he died in 1911. His body was shuffled around for 66 years. I'm surprised he didn't lose more limbs. Mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. He was then shipped back to Oklahoma where he was laid to rest next to an actual outlaw, Bill Doolin, and his grave was then covered in several feet of concrete to prevent any further desecration. And that is where he remains. <laughs> remains. <laughs> and that is our story for the day. Is that not crazy or what? That is wild. Like, that baffles me for so many reasons. <laughs> How did people allow themselves to get so attached to a fucking corpse where they just got paraded around the country? Part of me can understand the carnival aspect because they were using it as a body. They were using it as an artifact of a body. They're like, hey, this is a corpse. I mean, they were also using it as a body in the movie theater because they were just like... This is a warning sign. <laughs> Fair point. But I think that was more of like, 
this is a warning sign with the like possible underlying intent that it is fake, like most movies, you know? When you go to the movies, you're like, oh, it's fake. It's a prop. You'd think it's a prop, but it's not a prop. It's a person. With the sideshow, I'm like, okay, you know, they got the babies in a jar and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, that that tracks. But when they started just hanging him up in places, being like, yeah, it's fine. His neck was oozing goo. Right. I don't care if he spray painted fucking bright out orange. I don't care if he's rainbow colored. Like, how could you not know that was a person at one point? You know, you know, that's a person. Exactly. And the fact that he just lasted this long was really amazing. I mean, he lived to be 31, which is pretty impressive back in those days. It's just so weird to think of, like, frame of reference wise, that this was 20 years before my grandmother was born. Wonder if she ever saw the body. Probably. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right, and that is all we have for you today, you little creepy parasites. Thank you for joining us today. And we will see you in two weeks for our next spooky titillating tale. Until then, keep it creepy.